Once upon a time, two friends began sharing their dreams, literally. We wrote them down in the wee hours and unpacked them with each other via text upon waking, finding inspiration in their symbolism. Our dreams taught us that divine fingerprints are everywhere and can illuminate a path to Jesus Christ. I am Sarah. And I am Megan. And this is Dreamsicle. Join us as we learn to pay attention and find revelation for our lives hiding in plain sight. Remind me about that dream you had early on that was so enlightening. The one where you were like a fully realized version of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if only I could be that way now. I had a dream that I was was just in my house. It was a much nicer dream version of my house. (laughs) And I was getting ready for some people to come over for some kind of gathering. It felt kind of festive, like a celebration of some kind. And I felt no stress. I was like getting things ready. My house was clean and just like pulling out food and things and people were coming. And I, I just felt like very generous, very happy like really calm, really kind. And as each person came through the door, I felt like just so genuinely happy, excited to see them and like engage with each one. And I wish I could say that that's like my (laughs) typical state of being, but it was definitely like this elevated sense of self, like a fully, like an idealized version, like the best version of myself. And there was like no pretense. I wasn't like putting on a good show. (laughs) It didn't feel like I was a better version of myself for this gathering. It was like, I just was, I was better than I am. (laughs) Authentically you. Yes. Like, hopefully my true self is that good. But I think, I think all of us have that. Like when the stumbling blocks of mortality are removed and we're fully restored to our true selves through Jesus Christ. We'll feel that and we'll see that in ourselves. And right now, while we're on earth, we get glimpses of it. We get to see like little pieces of our true self, our true identity. And a lot of that comes through when we act on promptings and when we live the teachings of Jesus Christ, and when we try our best to follow those promptings to serve others. Yeah, I think you could call it the light of Christ. Yeah. It's just, we all have a portion of it. We all have it. And the ability to respond to it. The question is, do we honor those like higher impulses that are prompting us to do, nudging us to do good things? That's what we want to talk about. Yeah. How do we be better? Because it's within us. So I think that when we are talking about like acting on promptings or trying to be our best selves, we get confused about needing to know the source. Is it the spirit or is it just me? And I would argue that just us, like the good part of us that is made of the stuff of our heavenly parents might have some good like inklings within us. Um, So yeah, does it really matter if it is the spirit or if it's us? 
Um, I think we know by like where it leads. If if it leads to something good, then that's great. It probably came from the spirit. It did come from the spirit. There's a scripture in Mosiah chapter 5, verse 2. It's after King Benjamin has finished speaking to his people, and he sends out like messengers to see how his message was received. He wants to get like kind of pull the audience. And the people, um, they say, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. And also we know of their surety and truth because of the spirit of the Lord omnipotent, which has wrought a mighty change in us, that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. So it was the spirit that brought that disposition to them to do good continually. So the spirit gives us the disposition to do good. But we also know that all good things are inspired of God. In Moroni chapter 7, verse 13, it says, But behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve Him is inspired of God. So, like we've mentioned before, Jesus Christ is the source of all light, all truth, all goodness. And if we can really truly recognize that all good things, even our good thoughts, come from Jesus Christ, then we can't go wrong. If we have a good thought, we can act on it and we can know that it will lead us somewhere good. Yeah, I kind of think that's like the foundation of this idea of responding to like our higher innate impulses. And it's just seeing a need or often seeing people as they are, like seeing people as people with their own hopes and dreams and needs and all of that. And it's kind of like we can see them as fellow humans and not as inconveniences to us, (laughs) which I think fosters just empathy. We can try to understand them. Elder Uchtdorf said, It is this endless compassion that allows us to more clearly see others for who they are through the lens of pure love. We see immortal beings of infinite potential and worth and beloved sons and daughters of Almighty God. I think sometimes it's not even seeing people as an inconvenience, but sometimes we just don't even see the people around us. Mm. Sister Craig gave that amazing talk just this past October about um, feeling prompted to not look at her phone while she was in line. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. And um, she she decided, I, I think she said that she would like went to pull her phone out and then she remembered this prompting and goal that she had to not look at her phone while she was in line. So she kind of looked around and she saw the man with the cat food in his cart mm-hmm. and started a conversation with him. And then he said, oh, I haven't told anyone, but today's my birthday. And so she was able to engage with him. And so it's not always that we see people as inconveniences. Sometimes we just are so caught up in our own world or our own distractions that we don't even notice them. True. I think that responding to like our innate better selves usually involves looking outward in some way, even when we can be experiencing our own version of suffering. Uh, 
we could be good to somebody else. Henry B. Eyring said, we must notice the tribulation of others and try to help. That will be especially hard when we are being sorely tested ourselves, but we will discover as we lift another's burden, even a little, that our backs are strengthened and we sense a light in the darkness. You know, I think it's kind of counterintuitive that helping someone else while we are suffering can ease our burden, and yet it does work. This isn't to say that we can't or shouldn't take time to rest or heal or grieve or whatever it is that we need when we're burdened. But I just remember several years back in a women's conference, there was a story somebody told, and it was about a young mom who had cancer. And emotionally, obviously physically, she was just under a lot of stress, but she was emotionally just really struggling. And her husband suggested they find a way to serve. So after this talk, and I remember the fir- my first reaction when I heard that was like, just let this woman like get better from cancer. Like, do yeah. we literally have to be d- organizing service projects <laughs> even when we're going through chemotherapy <laughs> ourselves? And there was kind of this collective pushback to this talk where people were saying, Like, that's toxic. We shouldn't be telling people to serve and look outward when they're really taxed themselves. Yeah. Yeah. However, the more I've thought about this, and I I still believe we have to take care of ourselves so that we can give. But in this case, this this young mom's needs, her physical needs were being met. She was receiving treatment, she had support. In this case, she was seeking like mental and spiritual relief, and she needed an outlet for that. And she found that in creating like supportive care packages for fellow cancer patients where they organize these baskets or or bundles or something and just found a lot of joy in distributing them to these other people and, and then kind of making a connection with them as well. So it's kind of a story about that we do have the ability to find, even in small ways, moments where we can shift our focus from our own sorrow to someone else. And it requires discernment to know when and how. Sometimes we have to step back and say, I don't have it in me right now. I need to take care of myself. And then we can know when to help other people. It's like this analogy that you and I have heard probably 87 million times as disabilities parents that it's like in an airplane (laughs) when the oxygen mask falls down, you have to put it on yourself before you put it on small children or other people who need assistance. And people, they overuse that analogy because it's true. Yeah. You have to be able to breathe first before you help other people breathe. Sometimes we have like the opposite impulse though of this woman to just say like, oh, now is not a good time. And and like, I think we can use that a lot in our lives. Like, like there's a lot of things that we can use as an excuse to like not look outward. And if we don't allow it to, like that season will never come. Yeah, like you have to consciously make a decision that you're not, can just be like self-focused because I think that's the the natural woman right. state. That's just <laughs> where we go automatically. 
Yeah. I mean, I hate using that and to contrast a story of a woman that has cancer because <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of like myself today. I was outside really briefly. I think I was taking like a diaper to the garbage can and my neighbor's mother-in-law was babysitting. So she had the like newborn in her arms, a delivery truck pulled up and delivered several large boxes. And so they're sitting on the porch and the grandma is there with the baby. And I thought I should go help her take those inside or like take them in for her. And then I thought, but what would I do with my kids? (laughs) Like leave them here to destroy the house for 10 minutes. And those boxes look like furniture. They're probably really heavy. I mean, I immediately just dismissed this thought of something really like simple, but good. I could have done to help another person. And I made up like every excuse and I didn't do it. But you also did need to go see what your kids were doing. Well, yeah. I mean, my my children are particularly destructive. (laughs) (laughs) Betty could have eaten all the cheese in that time. um, She like got lotion all over our bed. Oh, Pulled like the shades, like I'll ski womp it. <laughs> that was like in the time I didn't take to go do the thing. <laughs> right. All you did was wash your hands. Through lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Took a oh, lamp to throwing. Yeah. It's like it's a like thing. Favorite. No, but like, I don't think you could. I don't think you could leave your specific children at this season alone yeah. for 10 minutes. Yeah. I think that would have been like pushing it. A bad choice. So I don't think you need to be hard on yourself. Jesus was obviously our example in everything, including when he was hanging and suffering on the cross. President Eyring recounts this powerful moment when he says, He looked on his executioners and said to his father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. While suffering for all who would ever live, he looked from the cross on John and on his own sorrowing mother and ministered to her in her trial. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So here we see Jesus demonstrating really like the greatest example of both forgiving and charging John with the care of Mary, his mother, so that she's provided for. So in the midst of providing this selfless act already. Jesus continued to be selfless in thinking about the people around him that would need extra attention after his death. That's so beautiful. And just a roof over her head, really. Like like she wouldn't have had a a means to provide for herself in that day. lot about covenants when I was thinking about this concept of like becoming our best selves. And I think that our covenants invite us to do that. In Mosiah 18, we are invited to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. This commandment to mourn with other people, to comfort them, to kind of sit with them in their struggles, it allows us to learn how to feel for someone else and what they're going through. It can give us a desire to help them. Joseph Smith said, if you would have God have mercy on you, have mercy on one another. And it's like this idea of seeing people as people. 
people who make mistakes, but who are just as human as we are. Um, I had a dream that Ooh. kind of <laughs> described the same kind of idea. Um, in the dream, this was pre-COVID, I was in sharing time with my primary class. Before the pandemic happened, I taught the four-year-olds and they were the best. So fun. <laughs> so fun. In this dream, I was sitting in sharing time in the front row, which is where we always sat. And it was a different class and a different primary than my typical ward, but this was the same scenario. And there was a little boy in my class who just had so much energy and was like not able to sit still. And he was super cute and just fidgety. And he was engaged with, you know, the singing and everything that was going on, but he could not sit in his seat to save his life, <laughs> which didn't really bother me. I mean, it was fine, but there was this man. I don't know why. Usually there aren't older men in primary, like handling sharing time but in the dream there was this older man and he was standing in the front and he just started berating this little boy just it was so sad he was just telling him like what a mess he was and how he was distracting everybody else from feeling the spirit and he was such a problem and I was outraged that he was saying this to this little child in my class. And so I just took this little boy in the dream and I just like gathered him up in my arm and like tucked him under my shoulder kind of. And I just leaned over while this older guy was still talking. And I just whispered to him like, you are doing such a good job. I am so glad you are here. And when I woke up, it was like this super simple short dream. I felt the purpose of that dream was to invite me to like respond to to that call to be better, to notice people who are maybe vulnerable or judged or marginalized, like to see them and to be a support and and to even like protect them. Like I kind of scooped him up, you know, against me and like I was just there to guard him and to keep him safe and to love him. And I think that that's what Jesus does invite us to do because that's what he did when he was on the earth. Yeah, always ministering to the one. And the marginalized, typically. Yeah, exactly. Because... Of Betty, there's a lot of like organizations that do good things and they are nice and they're beneficial and they're good, but really like they don't work for everyone. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. And oh, yeah. so it's like, I don't want anyone to feel like their efforts in a service project are wasted, but the most meaningful thing is going to be really recognizing individual needs and then ministering to those needs. And that's what we're asked to do right now with our covenants, to look out for each other individually. It's great to get like a packet of helpful things, but the most meaningful stuff happens one-on-one. -on -one. 
President Gordon B. Hinckley said, It is a responsibility divinely laid upon us to bear one another's burdens, to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to lift one another, to look for the good in one another, and to emphasize that good. I like the concept of not just looking for the good, but then emphasizing the good to other people so that maybe they can recognize it in themselves too. So there was this woman in my ward, and I just noticed that with this sweet woman, Nancy Cedarloff, that her legacy was one like people continue to talk about. Like I'd say for the year after she was gone, it would be a rare testimony meeting that she wasn't mentioned as just mm. someone that noticed the good in others and then took time to recognize it. She always wrote thank you notes to the people that spoke, to the boys that blessed the sacrament and just said like, you did such a beautiful job. Like she would always come up to people and ask specifically about their children or comment on how sweet they were or cute or something. And she just had this way of really noticing the good in in others and then helping them see it in themselves. And it's something that really stayed with so many members of our ward. That's incredible. It's like she noticed people and she made them feel appreciated. Yeah. Elder Maxwell wrote about the times when we encounter other people that are in need of an act of kindness. And sometimes the need for help is big or small, or sometimes it's urgent. But he he talked about how these are character building opportunities for us. And he wrote, such individualized opportunities may be deflected or rejected by us, of course, or they may simply go unrecognized. Nevertheless, the moments were there and they could have been seized for our good. Granted, such moments may be fleeting, but they can still be defining depending upon our responses. For instance, we can decide daily or in an instant in seemingly little things, whether we respond with a smile instead of a scowl or whether we give warm praise instead of exhibiting icy indifference. Each response matters in its small moment. After all, Moments are the molecules that make up eternity, affecting not only ourselves, but others, because our conduct, even in seemingly small things, can be contagious. I think it's true, though. Like, smiles are, they seem kind of like simple and benign, but it's pretty powerful. Yeah, or like how we react to someone, just like in our tone or expression or I don't know, our body language like <laughs> yeah. can communicate so much and and the words we say. Yeah. In thinking about like this idea of choosing to do the right thing, I came back to the concept of agency. And we know in Doctrine and Covenants 37, we're taught, behold, here's wisdom and let every man choose for himself. Agency is so pivotal and important to our doctrine. Everything kind of hinges on it, on our ability to choose. And it's the same thing with like doing the right thing in any small scenario. Like we get to choose to do the better thing or not. So I thought of the story of Martha and Mary with Jesus in the New Testament. So in this story, Martha gets kind of a, I don't want to say bad rap. Like <laughs> She does though. <laughs> I know we're kind of critical of Martha 
And yet she was doing the thing that women of her time were supposed to be doing. She was serving the food and making sure everyone was fed and all of that. And Mary yearned for something different, for something more. Like she had this impulse, this higher desire for something else. And she was seeking wisdom and understanding at the feet of Jesus. But what I really love about this story, especially now as like a fully grown woman who has definitely felt like a Martha many a time, but also a Mary, especially as I enter my aged years, (laughs) Jesus, I am basically, (laughs) Jesus saw both of them. Like he, he was not critical. He saw Martha's frustration and he saw Mary's desire. And he kind of gently instructs Martha that he sees what she's doing is important and that she's careful and troubled. And yet she also can choose to follow her righteous desires. In Luke chapter 10, it says, but one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. And in that passage, it's almost like Jesus is giving Martha permission to do something beyond what's socially expected of her and it giving her the ability to follow her desires, to learn more, to do something beyond what's expected of her. And for Mary, following this inner desire in this case didn't look like what was expected of her. And it irritated Martha. I mean, I think somebody's got to make dinner. Right. And clean it up. Like we get it. So kind of what I took from this story this time that I read it was that following the spirit can require us to be really thoughtful about what we do, how we act, where we spend our time. And when we're doing that, sometimes on the outside to other people, it may not make sense to them if they're not receiving like our personal inspiration about it. It might look like someone judging Mary for not helping Martha or someone judging Martha for not sitting at the feet of Jesus. So it's kind of like an inner thing, something that we have to grapple with personally because the Holy Spirit is going to work with us individually. Right, which it also serves as a reminder that we can't judge another person's choices Yeah, or just their efforts. If they're trying to do something that they feel is right, then we have to honor that. Yeah. I think it's important to look at motivation. Why are we doing what we do? Who are we doing it for? I thought back to Joseph Smith. And when I was reading through Joseph Smith history, I've always been really struck by this one line. And it's what he was really persecuted for like sticking with his story and and his beliefs and saying that what had happened to him had, had truly happened. And he basically had to come to the place where he said to himself, well, it doesn't matter if people don't believe me, even if they're going to conspire against me. He, he then says, I have actually seen a vision and who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have actually seen? For I had seen a vision. I knew it and I knew that God knew it and I could not deny it. 
he was talking about the restoration of the gospel. But I think we can generalize this to just how we live our lives when we're trying to emulate the Savior. And he had to say, it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to somebody else. It happened. I know it. God knows it. And he knows that I know it. (laughs) Right. I will admit that there have been times that I've done things that the Spirit compelled me to do, like in order to get the Spirit off my back, (laughs) to just say, (laughs) fine, I will do that thing. Was that out of the Spirit of love? I don't know. I've also done things that I knew was it was like a right thing, and yet I still found it like outside of my comfort zone, at times terrifying, at times simply awkward. Sometimes things don't go over really well, even when we're like inspired to do them. Right. One time I, I felt really this clear prompting to do something kind for somebody in my neighborhood. And I didn't know them very well. We, we really had no relationship. And not only that, I kind of felt like this person didn't really like me. I just, the vibes were there. But she was going through something that I I knew something about, like I'd experienced something similar. And so when I was at Costco one day, I just bought her a rotisserie chicken and a bag to salad and and some rolls. And I texted her and said, hey, I I have some food for you. Can I bring it for dinner? Do you already have dinner? And she's like, no. She immediately texted back. Nope, no dinner plans here. That would be great. (laughs) And I like showed up at her house like, I brought you a chicken. (laughs) I love it. And it felt really awkward to me. (laughs) But the chicken was simply a means of me being able to get to her porch and stand there where we talked about this hard thing that she was going through. And I felt her pain and we cried together and we made a connection and we hugged and I left and she got dinner to feed her family, which... It was awkward for me to do that, but I also felt like, well, it wasn't it wasn't about me. Like it was it was about her. God knew she was going through that hard thing and maybe just needed to someone who kind of understood and would show up. Yeah. So something I've learned is that when we are giving service or time or kindness or really any kind of giving, part of that gift is releasing our expectations as the giver. I listened to this podcast a couple of years ago, and it was before Christmas, and it was about gift giving. And she was talking about how just how important it is to release our expectations along with like the second the gift leaves our hands. <laughs> that we have no expectation of how it will be used, if it will be used, if it will be loved, if it will be hated, if it will be donated, (laughs) if it will be thrown in the garbage. Like we cannot tie the outcome or like how someone receives something to our feeling and, and giving. I think that's so good. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do, but it's, it really like, it's kind of freeing to just hand something over and in that case, it's a true gift. Yeah. It's given and you're not, you have no expectations or ties to it anymore. Right. Okay. So speaking to this idea of like, we can't really control the outcome. If we're going to follow a prompting, we just, 
if we decide to follow it, then we just have to do it. And where it leads is not really up to us. I had an experience a couple of years ago in the temple and I was able to go and do my husband's stepmom's temple work. So this was the first time that I was doing somebody's temple work that I had known in life and now she had passed on. It was really a really powerful experience, the whole thing. I just felt like I was learning a lot and feeling the spirit the whole time. And then when I got back to the dressing room, this woman who had been in the session with me, I mean, we hadn't even really noticed each other much. I had just seen her there. She just walked right up to me with like a great sense of purpose and said, I feel like I am supposed to give you a hug. And I just turned to her and said, okay, that'd be great. And and we embraced and we were kind of giggling because it was just <laughs> unexpected and funny. And I told her, thank you so much. And she walked one way and I walked another. And I had this intense sense, like a burning in my chest that my husband's stepmom was telling me thank you. And she had asked this young woman to give me a hug in her stead. And I just felt so much gratitude from this woman who was across the veil. And she showed it to me through someone who was just walking through the dressing room. And like, it was such a powerful thing to me. The more I've thought about it, I'm like, that young woman had a lot of courage. Yeah. Because honestly, I don't know if I could have walked up to a stranger and said that because I could have rejected her outright. And yet I'm like amazed at her strength for doing that. That's incredible. Yeah, that's really, (laughs) she was very brave. Although you're very approachable and friendly. (laughs) I didn't look too scary at the moment, I guess. In a general conference talk, Elder Rasband told a story of being in a restaurant with some elders and how they were sitting at a table and there was another, like a young family at a table nearby. And while they were sitting there, the family got up and left, like they finished their meal and they left. And he said to the elders, we missed an opportunity, like we could have approached them and told them about our message. And one of the elders said, I know I felt the nudge, but I didn't. I didn't act on it. And I think so often those nudges and those promptings, they come quickly and they come like in the exact moment that they need to. And if we don't act on them, like the moment passes. Like that girl in the dressing room with you, if she hadn't acted on that, the moment would have been gone in a matter of seconds. So Elder Rasband said, First promptings are pure inspiration from heaven. When they confirm or testify to us, we need to recognize them for what they are and never let them slip past. So often it is the Spirit inspiring us to reach out to someone in need, family or friends in particular. And then he went on to say, We must be confident in our first promptings. Sometimes we rationalize. We wonder if we are feeling a spiritual impression or if it's just our own thoughts. When we begin to second guess, even third guess our feelings, and we all have, we are dismissing the spirit. 
we are questioning divine counsel. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that if you will listen to the first promptings, you will get it right nine times out of ten. So I had a dream a few months ago that was really instructive to me about recognizing my own ability to like receive a prompting and and know that that's where it's coming from, but also to prepare me to handle situations when acting on said prompting would be very uncomfortable because sometimes it is. (laughs) So in this dream, I was at my childhood church, like the chapel that we went to when I was growing up. And there is a large parking lot behind this. It's a stake center, so it's big. And in the dream, the parking lot was not a parking lot. It was a vast, cold lake, and it extended for quite some distance. Um, There were people like a bunch of guys in wetsuits doing flips on jet skis. They were splashing water in the air. The water looked very cold because there I could see the mountains behind us with snow on them. And I understood, I had this deep understanding that I needed to go grow some type of crop in the lake. And it could only grow in like the the cold underwater conditions, which seemed like such a hassle to me. And like this burden I did not really want to take on. It just looked so difficult. But I had this sense that it was something that I could do and it was necessary, like it needed to be done. So then in the dream, I was standing next to my husband. I'm explaining this to Jeff, like, I'm I'm supposed to go grow this thing. Like I'm going to have to get in to the cold water. (laughs) And Jeff said, well, if that's how it has to grow, then we can just do it. Like we'll just get in the water and do it. And it was like, we can just accept these difficult conditions and just, just accomplish what needs to be done. So in my dreams, Jeff is typically a symbol of doing the right thing because that's the kind of person he is. And I woke up, with this sense of like understanding that we weren't talking about harvesting some strange crop in a freezing cold lake. It was behind my mom's church. We were talking about me being compelled to do things that would be difficult, but that I could do and that I should do because I would be following the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Some people, they think if they felt inspired to do something and then it doesn't go well, mm. like, was that really inspiration? Oh, yeah, that's a good but question. Like, I think it's it comes back to that, like, we can't control how things are received. Right. I mean, this happened to me one time, obviously. <laughs> I was doing a good deed. I don't know if I signed up on a sign-up sheet, like, when they did that. or if, Anyway, I was taking dinner to somebody. I had been asked to do this. And... When I dropped it off, it was not a kumbaya moment. It was almost like this angry, they knew it was coming, but there was just like this kind of animosity. And I don't think it was about me. I think it had to do with like the situation that this family was going through. And they maybe, you know, looked different at that moment than like the stereotypical, like ideal kind of family. And 
I was, you know, like trying to be friendly and put everything in the kitchen. And it just was, it was so awkward. Like it, it just didn't go over well. And I thought about this after the fact, why was that so weird and difficult? And once again, I think that it, this was not about me. It was about this family getting dinner and they were not in a place to just receive it with gratitude. It was like I did my my duty, even though it was really hard and uncomfortable. And I think it just kind of reinforces this concept that Elder Christofferson said, which is the Lord is pleased with every effort we make, no matter the outcome. Like ultimately, I had to say to myself, did I do it for this angry family or did I do it for Jesus who loves them? perfectly Mm -hmm. and knows their hearts and their situation better than I do. So sometimes we feel like prompted to act in goodwill towards others. And sometimes like we just sign up on a sign up sheet and do it. (laughs) And I think either way, it's going to benefit both the receiver and the giver. And Spencer W. Kimball talks about kind of some of the benefit that we get as we serve others and, or even as we just act on these promptings to do good. He said, there is great security in spirituality, and we cannot have spirituality without service. So often our acts of service consist of simple encouragement or of giving mundane help with mundane tasks. But what glorious consequences can flow from mundane acts and from small but deliberate deeds? In the midst of the miracle of serving, we find ourselves Not only do we find ourselves in terms of acknowledging guidance in our lives, but the more we serve our fellow men, the more substance there is to our souls. Indeed, it is easier to find ourselves because there is so much more of us to find. It's like that scripture that's repeated in most of the Gospels that says, those who will lose their lives for my sake shall find find it. Yeah, and I love it because it's like you have more substance as you look to follow those promptings and to serve others. And that's, I think it, it only gets easier. It gets easier to follow the, the promptings. I think that's true. As we act on them. It's like a muscle. It's like you're exercising it, practicing, doing the thing, even if it is hard at first. And then it gets easier because you've done it before. So it was in early December, my my daughter Betty had a seizure and her seizures are always like really serious. They never stop on their own. So we have like a rescue medication for her that we're supposed to give her after five minutes of a seizure. But if that doesn't work, then we call 911 and off to the hospital we go. So this was one of those nights and actually her seizure lasted like several hours and it was awful so if you're having a seizure they um, give you a sedative to stop the seizure which is a rescue medication that we have at home but then when we got to the hospital they administered I think five different ones in like continual doses through an IV the thing about these medications they make you really tired and then after you wake up you're super grumpy (laughs) like so grumpy and disoriented and 
she'll be just really cranky, super disoriented. She doesn't have any balance, but she's really restless and she wants to like get up and move. Um, so it's like a lot of like running into walls and a lot of screaming and they discharge you from the hospital if there's no sign of a seizure and you're like awake and drinking fluids. Um, so this is always like the hardest part, I think, coming home from the hospital and like dealing with this very agitated little child. So this night we came home, we came home from the hospital. We were all super exhausted. Betty's really agitated. It was just a really hard afternoon and evening. And like, as it came to be nighttime, our doorbell rang. Someone brought dinner and then the doorbell rang again. And someone brought like a plate of cookies and then the doorbell rang again. And someone brought like some little toys for our other kids and some things they thought Betty would like. And the seventh time our our doorbell rang, I like collapsed into my husband's arms, like sobbing. Like I couldn't, I just like could not even take in all of this kindness. Like there were like seven different families that just acted on this impulse, this like generous, kind thought to bring us something. And they could have very easily dismissed that. And had they known that six other families were also doing something kind for us, maybe they would have. But yeah, it was huge. It was like, I don't even know what to say. Like just this overabundance of goodness. I, I don't know. I just see not only their love and like a desire to just help or show up, but God's love, seven people in the same night. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it was. um, People are so good. It's true. We've talked about all of that goodness. It originates with Jesus and like the light that we have that is that comes from him. Yeah, because it's what he taught to love one another and to be unified, to see our common humanity. He said in Doctrine and Covenants 38, be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. We all have it. We all have the ability, the capacity to do good, to kind of follow these promptings that come from Jesus Christ to lift other people. It's just a matter of like honing our ability to hear them and to trust our capacity to receive them. Elder Garrett W. Gong said, as we seek with real intent to follow Jesus Christ, inspiration comes to do good, to love God, and to serve him and his children. Hydrate, get some sleep, take care of yourself, and dream deeply. You can find notes from today's show on our website, dreamsiclepodcast.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at dreamsicle.podcast. Click subscribe wherever you listen to make sure you never miss an episode.